It is the Dynasty Podcast live broadcast series featuring podcasts of live Dynasty broadcasts. My name is Haima Black. This week, a podcast of the live Dynasty broadcast from 1871 in Chicago featuring DePaul journalism grad students interviewing me about my career in journalism and media. Here's how that sounds. Haima Black for Dynasty Podcast, broadcasting live out of 1871 in downtown Chicago, the Merchandise Mart. It is Thursday, the 11th of October, and I am here with a DePaul journalism class of uh, graduate students, I believe, correct? Yes. Yes. All right. So basically, I was invited to speak with you guys, and we're broadcasting this live, of course, at Mixler.com slash Dynasty Podcast. Um, but I was invited to speak with you guys about my journalism experience, which I'm super honored and thrilled to be able to do. So to give you guys a quick overview on what I've done, and then you can ask me whatever questions you want, um, the very short version is I started in media at the age of 15 in 1998. Uh, I was doing college radio. I lucked into a college radio internship at the end of my freshman year of high school. By the summer, I was able to super persistently uh, make my way into an internship at Rock 103.5, which was a rock station that used to be around in Chicago. It was a huge rock station, like as big as Q101. They were kind of like competitors. Um, So I was super, super fortunate to land there. And then by the end of that summer, early fall, that station had gone off the air. And the DJ I was interning for, Chris Payne, he went over to Q101, and I was lucky enough to be brought over with him. So I spent the summer interning for him at one radio station, Rock 1035, and then after that went off the air, a few months later, we went over to Q101, I joined him there, and that was really cool. So I worked with Chris Payne at Q101 for 13 years, up until last summer, which is an amazing run. I mean, especially in radio, like people do not usually last that long in radio. And we were both as surprised as anyone that we lasted that long. So we were there. uh, We both worked on the local show from 2001 to 2011. So local 101, which was Q101's Chicago music program. Uh, I was the producer. Chris was the host. And I worked with him on that show. So that was great. We did that for 10 years. We were there total for 13 years. Um, Chris retired from radio at the end of that run. He had a great run. He'd been doing radio um, since he was about 14 or 15. So, you know, he had he had this long, fantastic run. And me, that was more or less the end of my run in radio. And I say more or less because I did a month at the station that took over for Q101. I was helping them run the boards. And I also, I should mention, I did some college radio while I was at Rock 1035 and Q101. I did Loyola College Radio for a while and then Triton College Radio for a while. So I really got like five radio stations under my belt when all was said and done. And I say I'm, you know, more or less done with radio because I'm still podcasting and I consider that a form of radio. Um, in 2005, I started podcasting. I launched what was the first music podcast in Chicago, which is pretty crazy to think about. No one was doing music podcasting in the entire city. So we, I launched Dynasty Podcasts in 2005 um, with a whole crew of like promoters and uh, kind of bloggers and socialites and screen printers and all sorts of like like-minded, creative, younger people who are like in you know college age, like post-college age, kind of like you know 18, 19 through about uh, 24. And I was probably about 22 at that point. So we had a range of really creative young people. Started the podcast. It you know went through a lot of different incarnations because none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> um, and podcasting was brand new. So we were just kind of like making it up as we go along. You know, people came, people went, but I just kept, I don't know, I was just too like stubborn to give it up. So I've been podcasting since 2005. 
Um, and then outside of that, you know, doing the doing the radio and the podcasting, I uh, started doing journalism work in about 2003. Um, I always liked writing, and I lucked into an internship with Illinois Entertainer Magazine, which is uh, the largest music magazine in the Midwest. I was an in-office intern for them, uh, which was a great learning experience. I learned a lot of what to do and what not to do. And when I say what not to do, I totally fucked up two, not one, but two interviews with the Deftones. I recorded one wrong where I interviewed one of the Deftones, and they're one of my favorite bands. And then I got a second chance to interview him like two weeks later, and I recorded that wrong for a different reason in a different way. And I literally was crying at the office. Like, I, no shame, crying. I was just like, I can't believe how worthless I am at this. So I learned a lot of how to do things better and how to make sure that you know your equipment. Uh, so I, I was doing journalism for them. I went on to, and I still write for Illinois Entertainer, I went on to write for um, some outlets like You Are Chicago, the Onion AV Club, uh, Chicago site. I was even a columnist for the Smashing Pumpkins website for about a year, their official website, uh, writing essays about the bands, which, which was pretty cool because they're like my favorite band. But it was a great experience getting to do all those things. And in 2009, I launched my own site. You know, like the, the pattern here is that I learned from some great media outlets, from some great people, you know, uh, Chris Payne, Althea Legaspi, like, you know, all, all sorts of great people. I did some internships at The Onion. I did an internship at The Metro. I, I got to get all this great experience from 15 years old on, um, learned from great people. And then in 2005, like I said, I started podcasting on my own. 2009, I started my own Chicago music site, chicagoverseunited.com, where I write about music every day and uh, post all the podcasts. And the site's on a little bit of a soft hiatus since I'm going to be gone this month, but I'm going to be revamping a lot of stuff there. Um, but the pattern in my life for journalism in the last half decade, and especially more and more so in recent years, has really been um, taking what I've learned from these established outlets and, um, you know, building my own channel out of them. Like, saying, so like, okay, I love radio, I love digital technology, I love journalism, I love interviewing, let's make that a podcast, let me make that my own thing, and then... Saying, like, I love writing about, you know, Chicago music, focusing on Chicago music. Maybe I'll do my own site where I don't have to answer to an editor. You know, and editors are great. They know what they're doing. But I got to do what my version of it was without getting anyone else's approval. So that's really been what has been guiding my journalism work in recent years is doing it my own way for myself. And it has a lot of advantages and it has a lot of disadvantages. It's a lot more work and a lot less money. But you can actually make it very successful if you know how to do it and I'm, I'm learning and i've got some good things going and i'm also working on other things so that's kind of the not so short version of my background in journalism and media and um you know and and now i'm just podcasting and, and doing my own digital content creation work and consulting and event work full-time and that's that's my work right now it's just working for myself and taking these channels that i've created and, and seeing how i can use them and um apply them you know for myself and also who wants to hire me for them and yeah that's that's kind of where i am so if you guys have any questions you know obviously i have um i didn't mention this at the start of the broadcast i don't know but i have to paul um, journalism undergrads to or sorry graduate students here um who are going to be asking me some questions so if you guys have any questions i can turn this mic over to you okay so obviously you talked about... Sorry, and what's your name? 
Allie Trumbull. And I know you talked about the disadvantages, and I would, I'm would i guessing this might be one. So how do you manage your job as an internet star, as the New York Times called you, which I want to bring up, um, while trying to balance your day-to-day life, family, friends, that kind of thing? Oh, I gave up on all those things a long time ago. <laughs> um, it's really hard, actually. I was just thinking about that this week because I'm gearing up to... Uh, to go out of town more or less for the much of the month of October. I'm going to be traveling to some digital media conferences in New York and San Francisco and New York again. I've got two separate trips to New York this month. Um, and it's hard, man. It's really hard because there's only there's a lot of stuff you can only do during daytime hours. There's certain people you can only email them at that time. There's businesses. That, like I had to go get business cards this week, and that's become a whole big project. And that, you know, it's not close to where I live, and that ends up eating up a lot of my time. So it is really hard, actually, to be producing creative content, keeping up with breaking news that you want to report on. You know, like for me, it's music stuff. And then also just doing day-to-day stuff. And um, the short answer is it's it's really hard. I haven't found the perfect balance, and I'm looking for interns. So I think that's that. And then did you, uh, for educational background, did you go, I know you take classes at DePaul, but did you, did you get a degree in journalism or did, did your training start with the internships and stuff like that? You know, my training started with internships. And I think that for me, I'm not trying to uh, sell anything short. For me, I don't know that I was finding what I needed in high school. And even in college, I did a year uh, at Columbia. I'm doing some classes on and off at DePaul. I never really found what I was looking for in school. And I decided that, okay, if I'm not going to really, like, if, if I'm not finding what I need to learn here, then it's up to me to go learn it elsewhere. I can't just take it as a cop-out and be like, well, I don't know. That stuff doesn't apply to me, or I'm not interested in it, so I guess I don't have to learn anything. So I just, early on, I decided, okay, this might not be, this education and this curriculum, like in high school and stuff like that, might not really be that interesting or that applicable to what I want to learn, so I need to go out and get internships. I need to go out and try stuff and fail and and fail a bunch of times and and have some things succeed and some things not and and really learn from that so you have a lot to get done so what's your daily process like do you wake up and look for new music like how do you go about your day well it's hard to know when my day begins and the previous day ends sometimes i do all-nighters and that's kind of a motherfucker i'm not gonna lie um but usually, let's kind of start backwards. I usually work the previous evening until about 5 a.m., give or take. And then I'll crash for a bit and usually wake up around 10, 11 a.m. maybe if I let myself sleep in. Um, so I'm usually working from about 10 a.m., 11 a.m. until 5 a.m. the next day. That's kind of like my average. Uh, your eyes are so wide. <laughs> it's kind of like my, my general average schedule. Um, and it, you know, it varies from time to time, but that's usually what I'm doing. I wake up, uh, before my eyes are even fully open. I'm checking my phone, checking Twitter, checking email. And then afterwards I'm like, Oh, my eyes hurt so much. Why did I do that before I was ready to, um, you know, I, I check Facebook, e- email, Twitter, all that stuff first thing. And then I kind of respond from there. And then I also start looking at like, you know, every day is a little bit different because it's like, you know, I, I do like a live event series at Rocket Rocket Bar and Grill. So some days it's like, okay, am I working on that? Am I working on podcast booking? Am I trying to get this podcast edited? Am I trying to write? And I find that for me, I do a lot of my more creative work much better at night. A lot of my editing, a lot of my recording, a lot of my writing. So a lot of times I'll try to get that stuff done at night. And then the daytime, maybe I'm just responding to emails. My content for the day has already been created right before I crashed. 
but I don't really recommend that strategy for anyone else. Try to have a normal sleep schedule if you can. And is that every day? Weekday, weekend? Yeah, generally. Generally, it's like kind of an everyday thing. That's that's usually the the kind of curse of that. Because I like working, so I don't know. So you mentioned that the Smashing Pumpkins are one of your favorite bands. So how do you balance professionalism and being you know, a fan when interviewing artists? Uh, usually when I'm interviewing an artist, I'm so focused on making sure the interview goes right, making sure I have all the questions right, making sure I know everyone's name, making sure that the... Uh, equipment is recording properly so I don't fuck things up like I did with the Deftones a decade ago. Um, so usually if I'm interviewing somebody that I'm a fan of, you know, like in my personal life as well as um, supporting them professionally or having like a professional interest in having them be part of my coverage for something, I, I usually don't get geeked out during the interview because I'm so focused on just trying to make sure that everything goes right that the fandom kind of takes a back seat to just trying to execute everything properly. Okay. So this is the big question. How do we make money in this transitional age of journalism? Um, so you become a lawyer. <laughs> um, it's really, 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 really hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard. And, you know, I was just talking with Andrew Barber about this from Fake Shore Drive. I just did a really cool broadcast interview with him that we did uh, through this channel, uh, Mixler.com slash Dynasty Podcast. Great service. And... You know, we were talking about that because that's his full-time job is Fake Shore Drive. My full-time job is Dynasty Podcast. And you talk to anybody who's doing digital media work, blogging, any kind of creative work that they're getting paid for, and most of the time they're going to tell you it takes a long time to start getting paid. That's kind of a basic given. Not every time. Every once in a while someone falls into something dumb luck and it just takes off right away. But more often than not, it is a long, upward process. So to answer your question... It is hard to get paid simply for the act of journalism, I've found. Not impossible. I mean, when I write for an established outlet, a lot of times they'll pay. And that's fine. That's great, actually. You know, like if I write for a magazine that's been around for 20, 30 years, they're going to pay me. That's cool. If I'm doing my own journalism, though, if I've got my own blog, you know, you have to... There's a couple different ways people do it. You know, some people, they post seven or eight stories a day. So that they get a couple thousand hits every day, so they have enough hits to get sponsors or to get web ads, web ads, web ads, you know, and they go through like Google ad services or they partner with some of these larger companies that are buying up blogs and like, you know, putting out their own ad service through blogs that they purchase. Um, nothing wrong with that. That's one way people are doing it. For me, what I found was really the best way to go was, um, you know, doing my website. Chicago versus United.com. I was getting good traffic, but I wasn't getting like any like web ads, and I also didn't really have time to track them down. Um, and I found that with the podcast, what I was doing was a little bit more unique because with um, my blog, my site, there's a million music blogs in Chicago, but there aren't as many podcasts, especially like doing what I am doing with the podcast. So for me, I thought, okay, why don't I try to take the podcast side of things because that's more unique and go out and create some partnerships, create some events, create things like that. And I found people really receptive to the podcast. So I've been fortunate in that I've set up events, I've set up, I've set up uh, you know, some partnerships, some sponsorships, some one-off things. And I found the event field is where I've really been able to make it a business in that sense. You know, um, And I'm always looking at like setting up other events, setting up other partnerships. But I think that that has been beneficial for me. And I think the takeaway 
is it's easier to be able to partner with people or find people who might pay you for what you're doing if you're doing something unique that stands out. Like if I just had a music blog, I wouldn't really stand out because there's a million music blogs. But I have a podcast, and the podcast is different from what other people are doing. A lot of blogs are just blogs. They aren't creating original content. So if you were looking to be a journalist, maybe you'd want to find some angle, whether it's the distribution, the execution, what you're covering, the way you're covering it, whatever. Find something that sets you apart, and then maybe you can either get hired, you know, maybe you'll either get ads at your site, maybe you'll get hired by other outlets, and they'll be like, oh, you're that journalist who always does X, Y, and Z, or you do it this certain way, we want to hire you on. Or you might find, like, you know, a marketing firm or a lifestyle brand like, you know, Pepsi or Levi, for example. I'm just throwing out names, you know, who would say, like, oh, we'd really love to partner with you because we really like your content. We like the way that you execute it. So having that kind of um, just having something that sets you apart kind of like gives you, I think, a better advantage. And then, um, so we have some time questions. How much time do you donate to social media? I know it can feels like it takes over a journalist's life. Yeah. And then how much time do you donate to researching the artists you interview? Um, social media is all the time, as I clearly have my Facebook up right now while we're talking. I mean, all the time. Uh, I don't know. I wish I wasn't on social media as much. I wish someone would have told me that my 20s would have been spent uh, self-promoting myself posting updates on myspace and facebook and twitter and everything like that because i would have been like are you kidding me i feel so ripped off mm-hmm. um but I've, I've spent like the last 10 years on social media basically i was on friendster when it came out you know and even before that in, in high school when the internet was brand new and you guys were babies i was you know i was on message boards i was on instant message i was on aol like aol instant messenger all those things uh but but to answer your question which I think was how old am I, which is very. Um, Social media takes a good amount of my day. Um, And then in terms of researching artists, like especially when I'm going to go interview them, I usually do that relatively before I go interview them, you know, um, maybe like an hour or two before, maybe the night before. And that could take, I don't know, generally about half an hour. It doesn't usually take longer than that. But, you know, when I'm going to interview an artist for my podcast or for my website, I'll check their website. I'll check my emails about them. If I've got like a publicist sending me stuff or if they're sending me stuff, I'll check their Facebook and their Twitter. And usually between the, between those four outlets. And then of course, like if they have a new record, if they have a new video, whatever, I'll check out their newest, um, you know, materials or newest output. But usually if I go between those, um, channels, then that's kind of like the most, uh, beneficial for me. And that's what I need. And then, um, how do you acquire the contacts you needed for your podcast? Like, how did you acquire all those people? And then how do you get artists to agree to be interviewed? Um, it was not easy at first. You know, and I had some advantages and some things weren't advantages. Like, I had some advantages in that um, I had relationships with some artists when I worked at Q101. Because my podcast is focused on Chicago musicians, and that was who we were interviewing at Q101. So I knew... Some of the artists that I have on my podcast from Local 101. But at the, at the same time, I'm covering kind of a different kind of genre and, and cl- younger class of artists than we had at Q101. So there's a lot that I don't have contacts with. And a lot of times it was just emailing them. And sometimes it's easy. And sometimes it's not. You know, I mean, being a journalist, you're going to try to make contacts with people. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it just totally won't work. And there have been artists that I've tried to get on. Um, where it's, it totally doesn't work, and then there's somewhere I try to bring them on, and it's easy. Like, 
you know, for example, I'm not trying to like throw names out or whatever. Like I had an easier time getting an interview with Perry Farrell from Lollapalooza. That took almost no work. It, it literally fell in my lap. Someone was like, you want to interview Perry Farrell? And I'm like, okay. And they're like, all right, go to his hotel. Here's where you go. I mean, it was that simple, literally. The dude who invented Lollapalooza versus some of these little Chicago bands, um, you know, some of the younger and newer talent that I interview, it's infinitely harder to get time with them versus the guy who created Lollapalooza. So it, there'll be stuff like that where it might not seem like it makes a lot of sense, but it is what it is. And, and the music game, especially there's a lot of egos, but there's a lot of egos everywhere, and you're going to run into that. Or some people just don't have time to be interviewed, don't want to be interviewed, don't know that you're emailing them, you know, because sometimes the email on their Facebook or their website is not what they're checking. Um, so things like that. It, it can be easy to get contacts, and it can be hard. A lot of times I'm just looking at literally like their Facebook artist page, looking at their contact email, and going from there, just like anybody else would more often than not. And then um, have you ever had any problems like that you run into during interviews, like a controlling manager of a band or something like that, or any any big problems? I've been pretty lucky. Most of the interviews are pretty uh, straightforward. Every once in a while someone says something... And I'm like, wow, it's kind of weird. And then, you know, like later they're like, oh, maybe don't put that in. I'm like, all right. But by and large, I've been pretty lucky. I haven't had any like major train wrecks um, in the podcast interviews by and large. And then what skills have gotten you to where you are today? Technical and social. What kind of skills? I have no skills. Um, I don't know. You know, it's uh, I, th- I think the best thing anyone can do if they're looking to do any kind of media or journalism work or entertainment or digital work, anything into that realm is just to always keep up with new technology. Because I, I don't have any special skills that anyone else doesn't have, really, honestly. Um, I just am really passionate and geeky about new technology. So, like, this platform we're using right here, Mixler, you know, like, that's a desktop app that's obviously on my desktop, and that's broadcasting us live, and that's sending it out on Facebook and Twitter. Um, then it'll also save the broadcast, so even if it doesn't have a ton of listeners when it's live, and some of them do and some of them don't. Um, shoot. We're using the wrong one. Oh, well. Um, either way, you know, it's going to... Shoot, I just realized I'm signed into the wrong mixler, so that kind of threw me off. I apologize. Um, but really, keeping up with the right channels is the best thing you can do, you know? Um keeping up with what's new, what's coming out. Because like I said, going back to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, going back to like having something that sets you apart. If you know about new technology before other people do and you're utilizing it in different ways, that's going to be really helpful to you. And that's what I've been doing and, and trying to do is use new technology tools and use them as part of like my journalist toolbox, you know? So, uh, any spe- I don't I don't really have any special skills that anyone else doesn't have. I just I like finding new toys online and trying to use those and I, anybody can do that. It's really simple. And then how many Twitter accounts do you have? Uh, <laughs> you have your own, you have you have a couple and why do you feel it is necessary to have so many? Um that's a good question actually. I mean well first I mean we could, to use like a really topical um kind of example like i don't know if you guys saw last night during the debate there was that kitchen company did you see about this huge huge mistake so this kitchen company uh it's like a 
company that just sells kitchen appliances, I think, just normal everyday appliance company, they sent out a tweet that said something about, you know, like like Obama's presidency was going to be so bad that Obama's grandmother died before it so that she wouldn't have to see it. Yeah, pretty horrible tweet. And what happened was, like from what we were able to gather online and kind of what they've said, it sounds like one of their employees was like logged in on their phone or on their laptop or something, and he sent out a tweet that he thought would go out through his personal account, and it went out through the business account. And now they have this like brand. They have you know got like twenty four thousand followers that they just said something horribly insensitive about Obama's grandmother through their main account. It'd be like if some dude who worked at Target sent it out to the Target account. You know what I mean? So um, you definitely want to have your business accounts and your personal accounts because if you say something stupid on your personal account, that's one thing. But if you say something stupid through your business account, that's like a whole worse thing. But to answer your question, I have three main accounts. I have myself. Uh, Chicago First United, which is my website, and then Dynasty Podcast. And for me, I just found that there was stuff that I could talk about on Twitter that doesn't fall under those categories. There was stuff that's podcast-related that doesn't fall under, like, maybe my personal or my website. And then there's stuff that's website-related. So my Twitter feed basically kind of covers both of those. But then when I also want to blast out just podcast stuff, there's just my Dynasty Podcast account or just the Chicago First United one. So I've got three. I've got actually a couple more Twitter accounts for other projects that I might be launching soon. Um, which is a good point. If you want to like launch a project, if you're going to like start a website, start a business or whatever, register the domain name, uh, register the social accounts before you announce it. So then that way you don't say like, oh, I'm going to start a new, you know, like I'm starting a line of crackers, like Dynasty Crackers. And then you realize that someone has that website and someone has that Twitter handle and you're like, never mind. So you always want to lock that stuff up. So I got a couple Twitter accounts that are, uh, you know, kind of like in the garage waiting to be used but i just haven't locked everything in with those yet and then how do you get followers on twitter and build an audience on soundcloud i know you have a really large audience on soundcloud um you know i think i was lucky in that i got on twitter pretty early i've been on twitter about four years and that really helps if you get on any social network early any social network that's going to take off whether it's you know people like i have about 100 followers on tumblr 120 not a ton I mean, it's nothing. It's not a bad number, but it's it's not a ton. And there are people who have been using Tumblr religiously since day one who have millions. You know what I mean? And I have, um, I use Tumblr pretty regularly, but I didn't. And I've been on Tumblr for a while, but I didn't use it very regularly in the beginning. It didn't really make sense to me. But Twitter made sense to me, so I was on Twitter pretty early on, and that worked to my advantage because um, as other people got on Twitter. You know, I was able to, like, follow them as they first started. They saw me, you know, and getting there early was really helpful. The other thing that's helpful is I try to engage people. Um, I try to produce Twitter content that uh, hopefully people will be interested in. Like, hey, I'm going to do a podcast with this person. I'm going to be talking to this person. And at the same time, you don't want to just send out um, blasts about your brand or what you're doing. You also want to, like, talk to other people, Um or just have observational stuff so not everything is, like, selling yourself. You know, if you're just like, oh, my God, I just had the best burger at Kuma's or whatever like that. And something like that's really easy for people to be like, oh, my God, that sounds so good. Um, so just being able to balance the content, being there early, you know, following lots of people, interacting with people, all those were things that really helped me on Twitter. Um, and then SoundCloud, it's kind of the same story. I was there early in terms of podcasting. There weren't really a lot of podcasters or talk content on soundcloud i was pretty early on in that i was kind of an adapter of a podcast program that they had going early on and then the um 
kind of the more I use SoundCloud for my podcast, the, the better the response was. And now we are approaching 44,000 followers on SoundCloud, and that's pretty insane. So, um, so how did you get involved? You're attending a lot of these digital summits this mm-hmm. coming month. Um, so how did you get involved in those? How did you get invited? Do you want to talk about that? Well, you know, I should say up front, the ones I'm going to this month, I'm just attending. I'm not speaking at. Uh, I've been lucky to get to do some speaking stuff at different, um, you know, schools, um, events. I just did some stuff with Social Media Week. But the ones I'm going to this month, um, I'm not speaking at. So uh, to kind of answer your question how that got started, it was uh, South by Southwest that really threw me into that. It was South by Southwest four years ago um, or four years ago as of this next South by and what happened was the DJ I was working with at Key 101, uh, Chris Payne, he had been going to South by Southwest for years. And people in the music music business, they talk about South by Southwest. They talk about South by Southwest music. That's what they mean. They mean the second week of South by Southwest where it's all bands performing live. And so for years, they've been telling me, like, dude, you got to go to South by Southwest. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. you got to go. So finally, I was like, yeah, you know what? I really should go. So I saved up some money. Um and I thought, hey, you know what? There's like a whole two-week thing that this really like encompasses. It's not just music. The week before is a week of digital media conferences and technology conferences and workshops. That sounds really awesome. And I thought, okay, I've been told I should go here for years. If I'm going to go, I'm going to do my first year front to back, the full South by Southwest experience. Like, I'm going to go big. So I signed up for nine days of South by Southwest, uh, not knowing at all what to expect. By the end of it, I was literally physically exhausted. I was carrying around so much recording equipment, and I had no um, kind of prior frame of reference for something that was like for that kind of experience, for a nine-day workshop on your feet, dragging around um, just tons of recording equipment. I was not wearing the right shoes. I was not wearing a good bag that distributed the weight. Um, and literally by the last night I couldn't stand up. I was at the Perez Hilton party watching like Hole or Snoop Dogg or Macy Gray or somebody and I slumped down and then I was like, I can't, I can't stand up anymore. I can't get back up from this. So I had to take a while and just like sit because I was literally, literally knocked on my ass and just totally exhausted by that. Subsequent years I've worn better shoes. I've traveled better. I've, I've packed better. I've, you know, uh, I'm, I'm carrying better equipment, lighter equipment, stuff like that. I learned my lesson pretty quick. But basically, like, South by Southwest really, I started going to those digital panels that they were offering that first, or the first year that I went. They, they were offering them well before that. But that first year I went, that was really what um, captured my interest with those. Because I was like, man, the music stuff's great. You get to see, like, awesome bands at small venues. But, you know, I'm lucky I can do that in Chicago. But I didn't see this kind of conversation happening in Chicago. So every year since then, the last three years of South by Southwest, I've gone to Interactive. Next year, I'm going to go to Interactive and Music as well. So every year is a nine-day trip for me. Um, then a day front and a day in the back. And then, you know, this is my first year going to CMJ. And just like South by, I'm probably going to spend more time going to the panels at CMJ than I am the shows because I can see shows here. I'm lucky like that. Um, and then this month, I'm also going to two other digital media conferences which i'm really excited about one is san francisco music summit which is happening this coming week in san francisco and then after that the next week i'll be at cmj and then i'm home for a week and then the week after that i'm going to mashable media summit you know put on by mashable and that's uh cmj and mashable are in new york san francisco media summit obviously in san fran 
and you know, I've already got my South by badge for next year. You know, and that was going to South by and and seeing stuff like this, and also listening to podcasts where people were doing a lot of like live speaking things. That was what inspired a lot of my desire to do a live speaking panel series at Rocket Bar and Grill here in Chicago because I wanted to bring some of that panel experience to Chicago and get some professionals talking and be able to interview four people at once in front of a live audience. So I love that kind of stuff. I'm probably going to go to more of these even next year um, and just like never sleep in my own bed, just be sleeping on hostel, you know, like beds at hostels and Airbnbs and people's floors and stuff like that and just kind of like couch surfing at 30. So I don't know if it's punk rock or pathetic, but I I love doing it. And then, so I know you mentioned this, uh, but you're, you were the first music podcast in Chicago. So do you have, uh, like, what is, what is your competition? Like, I mean, do you have competition? Like we know how you stand out above the rest, but is there a competing Avenue? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Because um, I don't want to... It would sound really cocky if I was like, there's no competition. Because that's not... I'm sure that's not true. Um, there are other music podcasts in Chicago. There are other podcasts in Chicago. I don't really look at them at competition. Not because I think like I'm so far above anything. But um, I just think that we're trying to do different things. You know, um, I see other podcasts. And they might have one podcast a month. Two podcasts a month. And then it's just... It's such a different thing than what I'm doing where I'm trying to do or, do, you know, doing like live panels, doing live broadcasts, doing Twitter interactive broadcasts. Like I'm always trying to find new ways to do this instead of just putting out a single podcast once or twice a month. You know, some it like in a busy time during the year, especially during the summer, I might have a week where I put out like 11 or 12 podcasts, you know. So I don't want to say I don't have competition because there are other podcasts, but A, I don't really look them, at them as competition because it's not like they're cutting into what I'm doing. And B, I, I just think I'm trying to do different things than a lot of the other people who might be podcasting in Chicago. Where do you see digital media and digital journalism in five to ten years? <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to say because right now it's so different than it was five years ago you know, to begin with. You know, because, like, you couldn't have five years ago said, like, oh, everything will be apps, you know, but everything is apps. Um, I don't know if blogs will still exist the way that they do now in five or ten years, you know. Um, It's really hard to say because things just, they change so, so quickly. You know, if you asked me in 2004 or 2005, like, what's the future of social media? You'd be like, oh, man, MySpace will just get bigger and bigger. And, look, there's no MySpace now, although they're trying to make a comeback. So it's hard to say, but um, I think things will just be like whatever the equivalent of apps are in 2000, you know, like five years from now, that'll probably be part of the answer, you know, because people want to not have to just go to a full website. They'll just want to be able to, like, get a Twitter like feed of information super quickly on whatever device they're carrying with them without having to, like, log on to a web browser and do all these things that will probably seem archaic and five years you know like websites will still exist obviously but i don't think that they'll be as prevalent and as predominant or maybe like the main source for everything as they are now but i could be totally wrong have you thought about making a dynasty podcast app i actually have plans for a lot of cool stuff like that um honestly the the main obstacle is just having time and resources to do that you know like having um like i said always looking for help and 
the day-to-day right now keeps me so busy that um, it's hard to add more things to the pile, you know, versus just keeping up with everything that I already have going on. But at the same time, I really am at a point right now where um, I've been doing everything I've been doing for a while, and ultimately I'm coming up on, like, my 15-year anniversary in the music industry, um, like, this coming spring. So in the back of my head, I really have a lot of different ideas about how I'm going to evolve my content and my channels. And that's stuff that's actually coming up sooner rather than later. Like within the next six months, if everything goes the way that I'm looking to have it go, you know, and it's going to take some time, going to take some money, going to take some, a lot, mainly a lot of time. But if everything goes the way that I am hoping in six months from now, what I'm doing will look a lot different than the way I'm doing it right now. That's the goal. And then if, so if you are like hiring, what would you look for in an applicant? So basically what, what should, what defines whether a graduate journalism graduate gets the job or not? Well, I'll say this. I, um, you know, I'm always looking for really good people to help with what I do and some of it's internship and some of it's paid, you know, I've been able to bring in people on certainly not full time or anything like that, but it's gotten to the point where now when I have certain projects, I have people I bring in to do freelance work in regards to those larger projects, and they're able to get paid, which is really nice to be able to give something back to people who are helping me. I, I love doing that. Um, what I look for, though, whether it's an intern or whether it's somebody who might be like a freelancer, you know, like a contributor to the, to the larger Dynasty project, I mean, it's really simple and straightforward, and it's kind of distressing how many people don't get this right. The biggest thing is just getting it done, just co- like following through. I have so many people who come up to me and they're like, oh, like I want to intern for you because I want to go to Lollapalooza. And then I ask them to do like one thing, and they, they literally can't even do the very first thing I ask. You know, like they fail right out the gate, which is like startling to me. But I have that happen so much that it's very rare when I have somebody who actually like shows up. You can tell if they're going to do the work. Then they show up to do the work, and then they go home and they actually get it done, and then they send it to you, and they're like, you know, it's like hound them. It's pretty remarkable, and I love when that happens. So I have three people who are helping me, um, you know, kind of on a part-time freelance basis. Layla Royale, who is my audio editor and engineer and producer, and she helps me on a lot of the larger and more experimental or ambitious uh, audio projects we do, like uh, Rocket, you know, like the panels at Rocket Barn Grill, this live Twitter broadcast we just did the other day with Fake Shore Drive. She was helping engineer that, and she really set that up. So she handles a lot of the audio work for me. And then I have two videographers, video producers, uh, Colleen Mares and um, Chelsea Moran. And they handle the video work for me, um, like stuff like Rocket and then some of the festival stuff. So those three are really the only team I have helping with stuff. Um, they do a great job. But, but the reason I have all three of them helping is because they're smart, they're dedicated, and they get it done. Like they don't have to be... I don't have to hound any of them. They do it. They show up. They do great work. They're happy to be there. They have a good attitude. And those seem like simple things, but I don't see that a lot of times with, like, younger college students. A lot of them, I think, have this attitude like, whatever, man. I'm, like, famous on YouTube or Tumblr. Like, fuck you. So. And then, did you start Dynasty Podcast because you were expecting the end of Q101, or was it more of a hobby initially? Yes. Yes to both of those. Um, it's not so much that I was sitting around going like, Q101 is going to go off the air. But 
you know, the station I worked at previously, Rock 103.5, that went off the air. And over the years at Q101, and this isn't just specific to Q101, I saw this, I mean, this happens in every radio station in every market. People get fired. Good people, talented people, smart people who sound great on the air, who get great ratings and are doing really engaging, captivating content, and they just get fired for no reason. Happens all the time. The best talent in radio gets fired all the time for no reason. And so in the back of my head, it wasn't so much that I was going like, Q101's going to go away. Like It was that I was thinking, there's nothing about me that makes me invincible versus any of these other people who got fired. So one day, either I will get fired or Q101 will go, go off the air. I thought I would get fired first. Um, and that ended up not being the case. You know, Q101 ended up going off the air. I mean, granted, seven years after I started the podcast, but I did start it on some level just so I would have a broadcast channel to continue utilizing if I ever wasn't at Q101 for whatever reason, whether I got fired or whether the station went off the air. And again, I was a lot more sure that I would get fired one day just because everyone does on radio than I was thinking that a Q101 would actually go off the air. I didn't actually think that would happen. Um, you know, and, and I also, I did start it also as kind of a hobby and just something that I thought would be fun and uh, kind of be a different channel that I would get to create and do it my way and it just ended up being this thing that has become kind of my professional crusade almost did you imagine you would have the success that you have now when you first started the podcast and that kind of thing um i don't know it's hard to say it's hard to answer that because if i say like oh i had no idea or whatever then it sounds like i'm like saying like oh we have tons of success um the podcast has had some victories this year this last year and a half two years really like it's been some some milestones that i'm really proud of like us getting a ton of followers getting to interview some larger acts like you know perry farrell patrick stump just some great really top-notch premium uh, well-known talent doing the stuff with rocket doing the stuff with rocket has been a game changer uh, being in the new york times so it has been a really good year and a half two years for the podcast but i don't want to um kind of sit and be like well we've had all these victories everything's great because the second you kind of stop doing different things and patting your uh, and you just start patting yourself on the back then you usually start falling off at that point so that's why right after we did the new york times thing we did something we'd never done before which uh, like i said was this broadcast that we sent out over mixler and people were able to tweet in questions for the broadcast and myself and uh you know andrew barber who was the guest from fake shore drive he answered the questions from twitter on the broadcast in real time so that people were tweeting in and it was like a call in radio show and that was something we'd never done in that fashion before so i I wanted to make sure like okay if we got this huge awesome write-up in the new york times that means so much and and is such a cool accomplishment then we better like we sure as fuck better earn it you know what i mean like not that we didn't earn it before but we better keep earning it and keep evolving and doing different things we can't just say like oh we've we've arrived like we're here now we're in the new york times we don't have to try anymore so we're constantly thinking about new ways to do things because we don't want to just sit and kind of like quote unquote count our victories and just be like oh we're here because that's a horrible way to do it and then you've mentioned the rocket panel how did that get started how did you did was that your idea was it like a collaboration type of thing or it was definitely a collaboration i mean that actually has like a long like a, it's like a two-year history before it even happened yeah i know what happened was like i think summer 2010 uh we had a guy named tim toomey who works at Rocket, fantastic guy. Uh, he's higher up at Rocket, and he really is the other end of this Rocket series that we're doing. He really put in a lot of his time, 
a lot of his say into making it happen really threw in behind us and it would not be happening there without tim toomey like without a doubt so what happened was in 2010 i think it was i was working at q101 i was on local 101 and there was another guy i was working with um at a part-time job who worked at jbtv and um tim originally had an idea for a different kind of series that was going to involve music and he was reaching out to both of us like let's make it a q101 jbtv thing unfortunately it's not that simple on corporate radio you can't just say like hey this someone's got a great idea for an event series let's do it you have to go through so many channels you have to go through sales you have to go through promotions you have to go through all sorts of stuff you have to get sponsors i mean these things take months and usually a ton of money and so it was something where the interest was there especially with tim toomey at rocket in doing something with music and it just never really came together when we were at Q101, or when I was at Q101 and this other guy was at JBTV. Well, when Q101 went off, you know, and we talked about it for months on and off, you know, it was always kind of like hanging in the air. When Q101 went off, I was really sad to see it go. I was sad that that time was over, but at the same time, I'd been there for 13 years, and I was really ready to go and be able to do different projects that i wasn't really able to do under the q101 like during my time at q101 because people would ask me like oh come be a judge on this thing or come host this thing and then be like okay and they'd be like we'll say you know it's Hyman black from q101 and i'm like well you can't say that we can't use the q101 name and then people would just be like oh well never mind we don't want you then so i was kind of like on some level i was like okay now that q101 is not here i can go out and do stuff and i can kind of like put myself you know get involved in some of these promotions um, you know, and and use the Dynasty podcast name. So I was kind of ready to do that. So anyway, long story short, um, end of last year, early this year, I was reaching out to Tim and I said, "Listen, you know, let's look at doing this again." And and what I skipped over is winter 2011. We did, a, or maybe it was in winter 2010. It was a while back. Tim and Rocket set up a, a live music industry panel. And it was myself, it was Jenny Lezak from Metro, it was uh, Jerry Bryant from JBTV, you know, um, I forget her name, but the woman behind um, Bacon Destroy, who's very creative. And they, they put together just like a music industry panel, just a general industry panel, and I really loved being part of that. I wasn't the moderator, Billy Deck was the moderator, but I had known prior to that that they wanted to do stuff. And so, like, beginning of this year, late last year, I, I tried reaching out to Rocket again. I tried, I tried reaching out to Tim, and I said, listen, like, you know, I know we've been talking about doing stuff for forever. Um, and what if we did more like that rock, uh, like the panel series? Because I had been listening to a lot of live podcasts that were uh, focused on, like, live discussion. Like Kevin Smith, who is a... Uh, director filmmaker who was doing live podcasting now he was going to venues all over the country doing live speaking gigs i was checking out what um joseph gordon levitt does with his hit record project you know because he's got a creative uh digital media project that he takes on stage too so i was seeing what these people were doing i was thinking back to that panel i was thinking about what i would like to do and i knew that rocket was interested and tim toomey was interested so we just got to talking and we did the first one after south by southwest I think it was after. I don't think it was before. I think it was after South by Southwest. And it went really well. And we've done four of them now. And they're getting bigger. And uh, it was something that just came from a lot of different inspirations. Came from Rocket and Tim wanting to do something. And then the timing finally worked out where I was kind of a free agent. And we could um, craft it a little bit more into not just being a panel series. But I really had a different vision for it where people can attend live. 
We'll stream it live, and then we'll also capture the audio and video, release it as a film and a podcast. So in that way, it's not just a panel discussion. It's also we're creating content that's branded with Rocket's name. It's branded with our name. We've got all these great panelists with it. And then if people can't attend, they can watch it at home. They can watch it in real time or listen in real time. And if they can't listen in real time as it's happening, then wait a couple weeks and we'll put out a really high-quality finished product of audio or video so that way people can digest this content and access it however they want. They can come in real time, they can watch it at home, or they can check it out weeks later as really nice, high-quality, finished products. So that was that was the idea, just making something that had a very um, accessible kind of like entrance point. You know, like no roadblocks. You don't have to pay to get in. You can stream it at home if you can't come in, if you don't feel like leaving the couch. Or if you wait a little bit, we'll give you like a really high-quality, portable way to watch it um, or download it or whatever. That way people can check out this content any way they want, there's no excuse. Um, how do you liven up an interview if the interviewee is being short and brief? <sighs> yeah, you know, it's kind of hard. You either go for a mercy kill and just, uh, you know, get try to wrap it up really quickly, or, I don't know, you try to find something, hopefully, like latch on to something and try to, like, make a little joke or... I don't know. It, it can be hard. Some people are just really all business, and that's fine. And those interviews usually go quicker. And then, you know, hopefully, it, like my most of my interviews are like ten to fifteen minutes. So usually, a couple of minutes in, if someone's a little bit stiff, hopefully after three or four minutes, you kind of have a dialogue going and they loosen up. That's that's what you can aim for. But sometimes you just have to like be like, okay, cool, great. I think that's everything we need, you know, because sometimes it's just going nowhere. And then, how do you choose uh, which artists you are going to interview? Um, with that, I really do it by, um, you know, with the podcast, I'll look at who has a record coming out. You know, a lot of times I'll bring in local bands on right before they have a CD drop or a new record, a new album. That's kind of something that I'll bring them on to promote. Um, I do a lot of festival coverage, so I'll go on site at like Lollapalooza, South by Southwest, uh, you know, CMJ this month, uh, North Coast, um, Riot Fest, stuff like that. Talk to the local artists that are there, um. And then I'll put, like, a collection of those interviews out on SoundCloud as one album. But a lot of times, you know, and this is something that can apply to any journalism project, you want to be talking about people or places or events that have some kind of timely element to them. So something where, you know, whoever you're talking to has something coming up or just had something happen where you can tie it to that. Because if you just sit down with, like, whoever, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they don't have a new album coming out and they haven't had a new record in three years, you're just going to be like, what have you guys been doing? And they might just be like, I don't know, washing our cars. You know what I mean? Like, you always want to have something timely that you can tie your interview and your content to, whether, again, whether it's something that just happened, you know, whether you're reviewing something or front-selling something, like, oh, you know, be sure to get out this weekend. It's Lollapalooza. Here's what's happening. You just always want to have a timely element because that's really what drives people to content, whether you're just writing about something or talking to someone. Do you have a question? Yeah, I had a couple that I just wrote down, and please forgive me if you um, already answered these. You don't have to re-answer them. Um, Um, Just speak into the microphone. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask, uh, can you give me one word to describe yourself? Oof. One word, okay. Um, uh, I think... I don't know. I, I have it on the tip of my tongue, but... I can't, like, verbalize it. Just, I I think restless. Restless would probably be the word. Because, you know, um, 
I literally like I've been really kind of restless since I was about 12 or 13 years old to get started doing stuff like this. And I've never really, that's never gone away. I've, I've literally been restless for like about 18 years now where I just wanted to do stuff like this. And now I'm about to be 30 and I've been doing media work for 15 years and it, it hasn't gone away. I'm still every day driven. Like as soon as I finish one thing, I wake up the next day or even as soon as I upload something, I'm like, all right, I haven't done anything in a while. What am I doing next? So I don't know. What's going to happen when when you're not restless anymore? <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Like, take a vacation like Mexico or something like that. Like, do something chill. I don't know. I'm not super good at relaxing. So it'll be interesting when that finally, when that kind of, like, gene sets in. But I'm not there yet. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but was it something you said you've been doing this or you've been restless since you were 12 or 13? Was it something in your childhood that sparked this restless? restlessness like you just you knew you wanted to be in the media industry have you addressed that already okay sorry uh you know i don't know if there's anything in my childhood specifically like i was always very like um kind of imaginative child like i always had imaginary friends um i was always just like thinking about stuff daydreaming um you know writing drawing all you know like all those cliche answers but um, really like when I was like 12, 13, that's when I was like, oh my God, I think I want to express, I mean, I wasn't thinking it in these terms, but it kind of became clear that I wanted to be able to express myself and be part of a larger, more colorful kind of uh, creative world and whatever, whatever shape that was going to take. Um, who is, who is Jaime? Man, I don't know. These these are like the big questions. These are like the the like uh, kind of like therapist couch couch questions. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, when I talk to people who I knew in grade school, they're like, "Oh my god, you're like exactly the same person. You just don't have that like '90s part down the middle of your hair." Because um, I totally had that part. I totally like the long hair. Yeah, it was the '90s. Like, I have an excuse. I know you guys are young and you have better hair, but. Um, I, I think I've kind of been in a lot of ways, the same person for a long time, not necessarily in every single way, you know, but I've always just been really passionate about Chicago, about music, about Chicago music, about, uh, you know, culture and, and what's new and what's happening next and what's going to happen next and trying to be part of that, trying to tell that story, trying to cover it, trying to maybe do it myself, things like that. So I don't know. I think, I think I'm restless. I think I am bored a little bit easily sometimes. And I'm always looking to, uh, to, to try a different, like to do things a different way. Like I know what I like. I love doing journalism. I love doing media. I love doing digital, but I'm always looking for new ways to do it and new ways to, uh, try doing things versus just I mean, like, if I if I wasn't, I would have never started doing so many of the things I've done. I would have just said, I do radio. That's it. But that's not the case. I always am trying new things, and I like doing that. Um, really just one more thing. So if you could just explain briefly um, to it, someone who's not familiar with your work or exactly what it is that you do, mm-hmm. um, how could you? How would you explain that? If I just said, oh, I met Jaime today, and he was he's a music podcaster but or do you just not like to put yourself just in that box like how can you how would you describe exactly what it is you do yeah you know um describing what it is i do that can be hard sometimes because 
he used to be easy. I was just a radio producer. Or sometimes people would be like, oh, he's a journalist. Um, and now, you know, if I'm doing it right, hopefully that title is going to be reinvented every few years, you know? Like, for like I said, like for a while I was just a journalist or just a radio producer. Not just a, but, you know, like it was that single title. And then people are like, oh, you know, he's a podcaster or oh, he's, he's a blogger. Oh, he's a writer. Or, you know, now it's like I, I'm doing promotions again. So I'm kind of a promoter. Um, and I'm really looking at expanding the scope of what I'm doing. And like I said, within the next six months. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard to pin it down because it's not like, you know, if you have that cousin who's an accountant, you can just be like, oh, this is Steve. He's an accountant. Like, that's a pretty straightforward thing, you know. Um, but most recently, like, I've been using the, um, you know, what if I describe myself to somebody, I'm like, oh, I do, like, you know, creative content um, creation. You know, like, I, I create um, digital content um, and do some consulting and do some promotions with that. And like I said, that's going to be evolving in the next six months, ideally. So, I don't know. It's always changing. and It is kind of hard to, like, find a catch-all title because I'm always trying to do new things. And that doesn't always have a uh, kind of a safe, easy label to put on it. All right. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. One no. more thing. Um, what do you think about music now versus when you first started? Here's the thing. I mean, you know, there's always conflicting things because I'm 30 years old. Most people I know who are my age, who I went to high school with or whatever, they haven't listened to new music in like eight years or something like that, you know? Like the last new records they listened to was like when The Strokes and The White Stripes came out, which to me is like, holy shit, that was so long ago. You know what I mean? Um, like stuff from when Clinton was president almost, you know? Um, so I, I always loved the stuff that I grew up with, like Tool, like Smashing Pumpkins, Sign Inch Nails, like all that alternative rock stuff all the staples of alternative rock deftones and i still love those artists but at the same time i am just like i mentioned about being restless i don't only listen to the artists from when i was in grade school and high school because that to me would be so boring if i was just listening to nirvana unplugged for 20 years you know um so there's a lot of artists that i love from right now uh, i mean i could name a ton of them but you know chicago artists like into it over it loyal divide a lull um this band scattered trees that just broke up you know, and I'm always discovering new stuff. Cruella, I love Cruella from Chicago. Rocky Fresh, you know, um, YP, uh, kids these days. Like, it it goes on, and there's a lot of stuff. Chance the Rapper, you know. So I, I've never stopped finding new music, and that's not only because of what I do, because of my work, but also because I'm really passionate about that, because I don't want to be listening to the same records from 15, 20 years ago. Like, that sounds terrible if I was that was all I was listening to. So I, I like a lot of music right now. Yeah. And, um, so, do you only interview artists that you like to list that you you enjoy their music, or or do you you know let's say you interview an artist because they have a new thing coming out and you think people might be into it? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I interview like an artist that I just think absolutely hate, you know. But then again, I don't know. There's so much music I like that it's really easy to interview artists I like, and even if it's not an artist that um is in heavy rotation in my personal playlist. There's a lot of Chicago artists that I listen to their records and I say, okay, maybe this isn't my style of music, but I can recognize that there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of hard work. These guys are doing big things. People really love them. I'd be happy to talk to them. And I end up becoming friends with some of those artists or, you know, 
I have a really good relationship with them or I'll go see them live and I'll say, oh, wow, I really like their live show. So there's no one on my podcast who I absolutely hate their music. There just isn't. But every once in a while, you know, there's certain artists and I would, you know, it's not like I'm naming any that are, are not as much my taste, but I recognize the talent and, and the value in what they're doing and how much people are into it and how hard they're working and how good it is for the city and the local music scene. And, and I'm totally more than happy to talk to those people because there's a lot of talent out there, you know, and anyone who takes the time to be on my podcast, like I'm really just first and foremost appreciative that they took that time to, you know, spend some time and, and talk to me about that. And so those relationships with those artists, we recently had a um, Greg Cott from The Trip sure. come yeah. in. He's, and obviously does critiques, and we've, because we're also in another class together, um, it's an arts entertainment journalism mm-hmm. class, obviously. Um, but Greg talked about, and so did our professor, about having to be careful with relationships with artists. And, and I know that's because he is critiquing these albums and these yeah. shows. And that's kind of a different thing than what you do. But are you still in that same realm where you have to be careful? You know, I mean, that's a really good question. And I don't tend to do very many album or, you know, especially album reviews. I just don't do that many of them. And it's for no other reason than it, they just take me a long time. I can't turn that content out very quickly. I'm not that fast of a writer in terms of long-form pieces. I can turn out maybe four or five podcasts in the time it might take me to write one good album review. So to me, I stopped doing album reviews and stuff like that a long time ago because I wasn't really enjoying doing that kind of journalism. And I I just found that there were other projects I could produce where I could do it with a greater number of frequency. I could do it you know, and going back to what I was talking about earlier, like standing out, like there's a million people writing album reviews. There weren't as many people doing podcasting back then. So for me, it just made so much more sense to do more podcasting than critiques. I don't do very many critiques. And the other thing is that at Local 101, you know, before I was even doing, you know, music journalism work, I was doing producing, you know, like our part of our job was to have some relationship with a lot of these artists because we were bringing them in every weekend on local 101 we were only talking to chicago artists which is not an infinite pool so by default these people were coming in all the time we were hanging out with them you know you become friendly with people so that was first and foremost where i came from but you know it would be one thing if i was doing tons of album reviews writing about a band's album giving them a great review and then going to a bar with them afterwards but i'm just not really doing that kind of content um so i definitely totally agree with and get where Greg Cott's coming from. For me, it's a little bit, uh, I'm just not producing the same kind of content. And I think coming from the same place because my interviews, honestly, like they sound better if I have some relationship with the artist, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm doing is producing sound content, you know? So it's, it's kind of a different beast, but again, what he says is totally a right and B valid, you know? Um, wanted to ask you do um it kind of seems like you give a little more attention or um i guess a little more of your focus to artists like who are either local or um you know maybe are not necessarily mainstream is that true yeah you know um that's really been the focus of my music coverage more or less by and large the last 15 years is is chicago artists you know when i was doing college radio I was working on a Chicago music show. When I was at Rock 135, the station I was at, like the big rock station I was at first, 
uh, the DJ I was working with, Chris Payne, who I worked with also at Q101, he was hosting a local music show there. And then we went to Q101 and we were working on the local music show. And then when I've done my journalism, by and large, I'm usually writing about local artists. And then doing my website, I just kept going with that. And I was like, well, I can cover Chicago music really well. I'll write about Chicago music on my website. And then doing the podcast, that... You know, originally I was trying to get national artists, and especially back in 2005, trying to book a big band that's headlining maybe like the Aragon for a podcast. It was almost impossible. So I just started talking to local artists, which I was already doing on Local 101, where I was booking them there. And it worked really well. And I thought, you know what, I'm having way more fun talking to artists that I can build relationships with and rapports with versus talking to some band from, like, Iceland, who I'm never going to talk to again, you know. So, yeah, a lot of my work is focused on Chicago music, and a lot of that is focused on artists who are up and coming versus only talking to larger artists. Because, you know, newer artists, when you build that relationship with them early on and you bring them in for three or four podcasts, you know, when they're big a couple of years later, it's really cool because you have that backstory with them. So, last thing. Um... So it kind of seems like that you've created your own job and you've been really successful at it. What would you, I guess, suggest or what type of advice do you have for somebody who wants to do that, who wants to create their own job? You know, because it's not like, you know, I guess there are job listings here for oh, we want a, a music podcast person. Like one job is not going to have it's not going to be exactly what you want to do. So I just want to make sure I've got you like your advice is like what advice or your question is like what advice would I give for like aspiring aspiring or upcoming journalists who are looking to who want to do I guess because for me I kind of want to do something like similar to what you're doing right and so I want some advice as to how because I swear every job listing that you know that I'm looking for is not like I, I don't I don't really want to be in the newsroom I don't really want to be here's at a radio okay station. so basically what I think you're asking mm-hmm. is like how do you find the job that's suited to what you want to do yes okay the answer to that is you make your own job Yes. So Which takes a long time. I don't mean to make okay. it sound easy because it's not. Okay. I worked on this podcast for years and years and years and years and years. I mean, really like six years where it, there was nothing coming in in terms of a return except for like a sense of satisfaction. And that's it. And it's hard to pay your bills that way. Um, but what I would suggest, I mean, everyone in this room, you guys are all clearly smart. You're all young. You're all talented. You know, start doing what you want to do and you might do it for a while and it might not pay and it might not seem like it's going anywhere. But if you keep at it and you're building and you're able to chalk up small successes, then maybe those can lead to bigger successes. And I mean, this all sounds so like kind of a football coach motivational, you know what I mean? But like I I did the podcast for years and we were on MySpace, then we got more followers on MySpace than we were on, you know, I was on Facebook and I was on Twitter and I started building followers there. And then I started building the podcast followers there. And then I was producing some podcasts and I was producing more podcasts and I started getting some bigger guests and I started getting other bigger, bigger guests. And, you know, I'm not saying chase a fool. It's Aaron forever and not ever get paid and don't ever, uh, get anywhere with it but if you really want to do something and you start early and you keep at it and you find new ways to do it and you keep improving and enhancing your skill set and you keep you know you're networking you're just tireless you're finding new ways to do it you're connecting with other people you're out there networking you're promoting yourself which you have to do a lot of unfortunately i hate promoting myself i have to do it all the time because there's no one else who will do it i don't have like a parent company or a radio station or a newspaper that's going to promote my work for me so i've got to 
self promote like a motherfucker and I hate it actually. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I get sick of talking about me. Um but those are all the things you have to do, you know, and then you just might find out that you're really good at one thing or two things or three things or you do something different or you do something um better than other people or you're just doing something that other people aren't doing and then you know you can be like oh maybe you go to a marketing firm maybe you go to a restaurant maybe you go to a nightclub maybe you go to a venue maybe you go to you know a traveling festival like the warp tour whatever it is you find somebody who you can like partner or connect with or do a collaboration or they can sponsor you and you say like listen i do this live video streaming or i do video content or i do podcasting or i do tumblr journalism better than anybody and i've got all these different stats to prove it. And none of my stats are like, I mean, they've all been earned. You know what I mean? Like nothing, nothing is paid for. Nothing was given to me at all. So if I can do it and I'm 30, I know that you guys being younger could absolutely do it. Cause you guys have, I promise have bigger networks available to you through your school, you know? So you, you, I mean, basically you just keep doing it. And like I said, you just, you get better. You, you knock like natch up some victories and then, um hopefully you can turn that into something you can find people who will pay you for it you can find a way to get paid for it you know whether it's selling t-shirts or doing promotions or any of those things like all those things count and you know now more than ever traditional media is shrinking you know all the time and tumblr blogs are becoming like legit you know what i mean or or youtube reporters are are legit and so it's never been more wide open if you want to, like, grab it now. I mean, I guess that that's the best I can say because that's all I did. I just kept, excuse me, I just kept going and going and going. And then finally I found, you know, a little bit of success here and there. And I got a couple breaks. And, you know, like I said, those only came from doing it. Nothing nothing was given to me or bought or anything like that. Awesome. All right. Well, anybody who made it this far, thanks so much for listening. Uh, super long Exercise Dynasty live broadcasts. I'm a Black. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you for everyone for being here. Thank you. This has been the Dynasty Podcast live broadcast series. Thanks to Allie Trumbull and her DePaul grad student peers for being on the broadcast this week. You can find past Dynasty podcasts and follow all social and digital media channels at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.